you will take a copy of God's Word and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew and what we know to be the Sermon on the Mount. The section of Scripture that we're looking at today is a third message on what is arguably one of the most familiar passages in all of the Bible, what we know to be the Lord's Prayer. I want to extend a welcome to all of our seniors. We're so thankful for our graduating class of seniors here at Dawson. We're especially anticipating this service of commissioning and prayer. And you are here because you're family members. We have moms and dads that are here, grandparents that are here, uh, family members and friends that are here. And you see your senior behind me or around you here in our sanctuary. And I know that this is, well, it's, it's got to be a bitter sweet. There's the sweetness of what uh, lies before these seniors the great joy of seeing them follow in the faith and to be able to, to do what they have done. And there's this sense of, of looking back. And I know, I know someone said today, I've got, I have my Kleenex close to me for this service here. And it, and it is a special service, a special moment. So as Danielle has said, we want to pause and, and be in this moment. But we also want to hear a word from the Lord. And so instead of pivoting and, and preaching another message, we're continuing in a series in the Lord's Prayer. Many of you do not need to be reminded of the contours and the phrases of the Lord's Prayer. But from the English Standard Version in Matthew 6 verse 9, I read to you the entirety of what we've been examining over these previous two weeks. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's so many serialized television shows that maybe you've watched and you come at the the preview of that episode that you're going to watch and oftentimes there would be a narrator who comes over and says, previously on, and sort of gives you a montage of the previous season, the previous episodes to bring you up to speed for the new episode that you're going to listen to. So previously, in our messages on the Lord's Prayer, we've asked the question and answered the question, who do we pray with? Our Father in heaven. Prayer is communal. We pray on behalf of a community from a community. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. There are no I, me, and mine as the primary pronouns of the Christian faith. Our Father in heaven. Who do we pray not only with, but who do we pray to? A Father in heaven. He is transcendent. He's in heaven. He is imminent. He is our Father, who is our Abba. He is close to us as a loving Father, but He is holy other. He is in heaven. Who do we pray with? Who do we pray to and how do we pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. So in our previous message, we we asked the question, how do we pray? And from the Lord's Prayer, we said we pray for God's name to be known. Hallowed be his name. For his will to be done, his kingdom come, his will be done. And we continue to ask that same question, how do we pray? And we continue to hear clear answers from the Lord's Prayer that we pray for God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. We, we pray, we're invited to pray for God's provision. Now notice there is a significant shift. The, the, the preceding petitions are, are praises, they're adoration. 
Hallowed be his name. His kingdom come. His will be done. And there is a shift here where we're moving to a more earthly existence. We're praying for his forgiveness. We're praying for his protection. We're praying for his provision. And there are times in our prayer life where where we're tempted to uh, allow our prayers to uh, only be a list of things that we need. Forgiveness, provision. And so it's very intercession and petition heavy with a minimization of praise and adoration. But a healthy prayer life isn't either or. It's not just petitions without praise. It's not just praise without petitions, but it's both and. And when we begin with an adoration of who he is, when we begin with a praise for who he is, it affects the way we pray for those that are around us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. So a fully orbed, a fully formed prayer life isn't an either or between eternal and earthly, but it is a, it is a both and. So we pray for his daily provision. In church history, there have been early theologians that looked at the bread and saw that as a metaphor, a metaphor for communion with God, the bread of the Eucharist, the bread of the Lord's Supper. It seems that what Jesus is talking about here is actual nourishment. It's actual earthly bread. Not a metaphor for the Lord's Supper, but rather Jesus is inviting us to pray for those basic necessities that we need to glorify him and for our good here on the earth. That he's inviting us to pray for the basic necessity for our nourishment. Now we could see nourishment, not just as physical nourishment, but not also spiritual nourishment. Emotional nourishment. Notice the repetition, give us this day our daily bread. Not only give us this day our bread, but give us this day our daily bread. A first century Israelite would have heard this petition and would have immediately hearkened back to the story of the Israelites. They're set free from Egyptian captivity. God provides for them a daily diet of manna. They begin to complain, boy, it was a whole lot better in Egypt. We ate a whole lot better there. But do you remember what was the key component of the manna that God provided from heaven each And every day it was. And he said, listen, don't store this up for the next day. I'm only going to give you enough for one day. And then it will spoil if you try to hoard it and to store it. Lest it is a temptation for you to think that you could provide for yourself. Now there was an exception the day before the Sabbath. They were able to store it. But God had this holy economy of how he was going to provide their basic necessity each and every day that made them depend freshly each and every day for what they needed to get through the day. And so it is for you. He doesn't ask us to pray for his annual allotment of bread. He doesn't say pray for your monthly bread, pray for your weekly bread. He wants you to walk with him in step, independence each and every day. So you're depending upon him for the nourishment that you need to get through the day that he has provided for you. That's not only physical, but that's spiritual, that's emotional. Could you imagine a kid? Let's just see, maybe six years old, seven years old, still still has one of those cartoon character lunch boxes, and you're taking a little bit of time at the end of the day, and you're tucking him or her into the bed, and then you notice that he's sleeping. Let's just say it's he who is sleeping with his 
lunchbox and you open it up and you see some leftovers from breakfast the previous day, you see some leftovers from lunch the previous day, you see some leftovers from dinner the previous day, and you say, what is this? And he looks at you and says, well, listen, every day is a gift. I don't know how much longer you're going to be around here, so I've got to have a backup plan. <laughs> if I lay me down to sleep and your soul he doesn't keep, you know, I've got to be able to eat here. So I'm taking a little bit of responsibility into my own hands here, and I need to provide for myself here because I'm not really sure if I can put my whole weight and trust upon you, Mom, upon you, Dad. Now, what would you say to that child? You would say, listen, you can take that off of your concerns. You're, you don't have to be responsible for your daily allotment of food. Mom and Dad are here, and it is our joy not, not responsibility, it is our joy and privilege to be able to provide what you need. And so Jesus says, in preceding passages before the Lord's Prayer, do not be like them, the them is the Gentiles in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He invites you to pray for His daily bread. He invites you to pray for what you need for the day. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, he would pause and he would say, God promises us to give us what we need, not our greeds. That he, he promises to give us our needs, not our greeds. So when we pray for daily bread, it isn't this Amazon wish list of anything and everything that we can name and claim. And in that moment, he must be beholden to our request. No, he is a loving father who at times answers our prayers with no. At times answers our prayers with wait, and it oftentimes answers our prayers in his sovereign will with yes and now. But here we have this promise that what we need for our good and his glory, he desires to provide as he sovereignly invites us to pray for his daily bread. Now, there, there are seniors in this room here, and this is a wonderful passage for you as you're going to college. Because daily bread, many of you are not going to worry about, do I have enough money on my cafeteria plan to be able to eat? That's not, that's not how you're going to be praying. But daily bread for you as seniors are going to be praying for, well, what, what is my major? Who, who are the friends that I'm going to make in my freshman year that are going to be really significant in shaping me and molding me? Uh, where some of you are still kind of pondering what, what, is, what does career look like? Many of you, if not all of you, are praying that. And, and daily bread is this wonderful invitation to pray for what God is going to give you in that freshman year that is just months away for, from you. Now, some of you in this room, you're, you're praying for the daily bread of a career transition. You're, you're at a place in your life where you never imagined that you would have to pivot. You had a 30-year plan, a 40-year plan, and now all of a sudden with a company downsizing, you're saying, God, give me the daily bread. Not necessarily that you're praying, I don't know what we're going to eat tomorrow. No, you're praying, God, open the right door for the next place that I walk through. Shut the wrong doors but give me your daily bread to have the wisdom to know the difference 
Yes, you have a responsibility. Yes, you're going to pursue contacts. Yes, you're going to be about your networking and all of those things. But ultimately, to pray for his daily bread is to pray for the sustenance and the wisdom to test and approve his will for our lives, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Romans 12, verse 2. And so we're not just praying that for 17 and 18-year-olds. We're praying that for their moms and dads and their grandparents and singles and college students that are in this room right here. That this is an encompassing prayer that he invites us to pray for our provision. But that's not the only invitation that we have. How do we pray? For his provision. How do we pray? For his pardon. Forgive us our debts, Jesus prays, as we forgive our debtors. That word debts in the English translation is, has in the original language in the New Testament sort of a literal meaning, which is that which is justly or legally due, a debt, or a metaphorical meaning that is an offense, a sin, lest you get the translation, forgive us our transgressions, debts, transgressions. Either way, you're reflecting upon that we as believers, we as Christians, have received a payment for a debt that we could not pay. That, that wonderful hymn, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain that he washed white as snow. That all of us in this room, no matter at what season or stage of our life, we do not have the currency of our good works nor good intentions to be able to pay a sin debt that ultimately alienates us from a holy and a righteous God. And here is the amazing good news of the gospel that he has paid it all. He has paid it all. That Jesus Christ has lived a life that you could not live a perfect life. He has died a death that you deserve to die. A salvific death where all of your sins were placed upon him. And he has covered you in his righteousness. And out of gratitude for what you've received, so there's an invitation to do what? To show forgiveness. It isn't just bask in the glory of what you've received, but rather it is a prayer that you would forgive your debtors. You have received what you did not deserve, and there are others that have harmed you and hurt you that God is calling in light of the reality of what he has shown you to offer grace and mercy to those who have wronged you. Boy, it's a weighty, personal, emotional commandment here, an invitation here. And there are many of us that, that balk at this point. And many of us say, well, if, 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 if you just knew, Jesus, what I have experienced, then you would put a footnote here. Forgive us our debtors except for. Forgive our transgressors except for. And there's no doubt, there is no reason to minimize pain. In no way do we want to we want to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. Of course it is. Of course it's a pain. Of course there is a tremendous hurt that has occurred in your life. And, and, and you most likely have been sinned against. But instead of maximizing what someone has done to you, we want to maximize what you have received in the gospel that you do not deserve. Psalm 103, verses 8 through 12, just reflect upon the wonderful gift. 
The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's not, he will not always chod, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Did you hear that? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So it isn't that he just covers over our sin. There's power in the blood. That it covers our sin. He removes our sin. I had a conversation the other day with one of my sons who was sort of, I know none of our seniors or none of our uh, chapel choir students procrastinate, right? None of you procrastinate, right? Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, this is church, you know? We got to be honest, right, guys? No, I'm kidding. Uh, we all procrastinate. Every one of us procrastinate. I, I've got sons, and they, they procrastinate. And I was, I was doing one of these things that parents do because it was done to us where you sort of say, you don't realize how good you've got it. You know, that's, it's sort of a, when all else fails, motherly guilt and fatherly guilt propels us forward. So I had one of these little speeches where I was saying, you know, you can procrastinate because we have a computer. We have two laptops here at the house where you can do this project here. When I was growing up, I had to walk 17 miles uphill through the snow to get, no, I didn't say that, but I did say this. I didn't have a computer at my house. I didn't have I didn't have a I didn't have a computer that write a paper on in elementary school in junior high in high school I paused my son said oh poor dad you know and so and then and then I said well when I was in college I, the first paper I ever wrote on a computer was in the computer lab and I went to the computer lab and had to sit there and had hours and I wrote the paper and so there we go that's how old I am and now he he was asking me a question. My son was saying, well, what, like, what, what sort of, we digress to uh, a question of, well, what did people do before computers? How, how did formal papers get written? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. Do you, do you, have you heard of a typewriter? And so we started talking about a typewriter. And then we got into a conversation about, well, what happened on a typewriter when you made a mistake? I mean, you couldn't just press backspace. You can't press delete. You can put the mouse, the cursor, and then uh, delete that whole word. And I said, I'm glad you asked. Have you ever heard of whiteout? And... <laughs> He didn't. He, he had no idea. It was interesting. He had no concept of the need for whiteout. Now, now, many of you don't know what I'm talking about, but many of you do, because you, you wrote master's theses. You wrote uh, PhD dissertations on typewriters, and they are crowns in heaven for you. I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine the perseverance it took for you to do that, because if you, you're writing you know, page 300 of whatever paper you're writing, your dissertation, your master's thesis, and you come to this place and you have to use whiteout. And there's only so much whiteout you could use on a sheet of paper before you had to tear that page over because whiteout would cover your mistake. You take the paper out, you would cover over the air, you would blow on it, and you'd put it back in there, and then you would type over the whiteout. But you could see, I mean, you could see that there was an error on that sheet of paper. And, and if you had so much whiteout on the sheet of paper, it becomes something that just really isn't refined and it really isn't professional. So you had to tear the sheet up and you'd have to start over. 
And I want you to hear what the psalmist says, and I want you to hear at the very depth of your soul what you have received in Jesus Christ. He doesn't just give us whiteout that covers over our sin and transgression. He makes it as if we never sinned. He removes it as far as the east is from the west. The word for this is absolution. He not only covers over our sin, he pays the debt. And when Jesus Christ covers our sin as our mediator, a holy God looks at us and he doesn't just see us as sinners who are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees us as though we were righteous, as though we never sinned. Not because there's intrinsic righteousness in our works, but rather what we have received in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So in light of the glorious news of what you have received in grace, so you're called to offer grace to those who sin against you. You are called, propelled by the gospel centrality of the Lord's prayer, to offer forgiveness, mercy, over time, through prayer, in the lifetime that we have this side of heaven. So pray for provision. Pray for pardon. And finally this morning, pray for protection. You know, the Lord's Prayer is interesting because it ends on a note of interpretive plurality. What what I mean by that is, is, as we end the Lord's Prayer, there's probably no line of the Lord's Prayer that has been so misunderstood as this final petition, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's an invitation to pray for God's protection. That's clear, but what does this phrase mean, and what does it not mean? You, You can have two errors here. You can misread this passage and build a theology in isolation that says that God is the source of all temptation and that God is intentionally tempting you for your downfall. And Scripture is so clear that that is not the case. James chapter 1, verse 13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He himself tempts no one. Now, the other error is to say that there's no place in God's sovereign will for temptation. And you need to understand that Scripture is clear that God does allow temptation. While he is not the author of evil, he utilizes temptation for his sovereign will. And there is clear teaching, Matthew chapter 4, for instance, where Jesus is baptized still wet from his baptism. And the first line that we receive is that the Spirit of God leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. The story of Job is the story of of Satan coming, the adversary coming to the throne room of God, seeking to tempt his servant, God's servant Job. God allows temptation. In his sovereign will, he allows temptation. So we want to understand this passage in light of clear teaching of Scripture and a passage of Scripture that really we should write in our margins beside this petition at the end of the Lord's Prayer is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It, it opens up. Paul's words open up 
how we are to understand this final petition. And listen to what Paul says as you write to the church at Corinth. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. And notice this last phrase, that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to endure the temptation because no temptation is not common to man. You're not being, you are not being tempted in a way that no one else that has come before you hasn't been tempted. You're not special in that way. Every temptation that comes to us is a temptation that we have the resources, not in our strength, not in our grit and determination, but leaning upon his strength, we have the ability to resist the ploys of Satan. Origen, who was a late 2nd century theologian, early 3rd century pastor and theologian, he, he said it this way, Let us pray, therefore, that we be delivered from testing, not so that we should not be tested, but so that we should not be overcome when we are tested. So what we're praying is, God, give us the strength to not succumb to temptation. Give us the strength to not yield to temptation. Give us the strength to resist the ploy of the enemy. And, and notice that we are talking about an enemy here. It's not only that we pray, lead us not into temptation, but we're praying for deliverance from evil. It ends with a note of the presence of evil. Some of your translations have deliver us from the evil one. Evil is not an illusion. It's not a mirage. Evil isn't something that you have a second year old, a second grader, or a third grader who's scared to go to bed at night and thinks that under her bed are monsters, but eventually she's going to grow out of that false superstition and she's going to be confident. It isn't that when we're young, we believe in evil, and then actually when we get older, we realize actually it was an illusion, it was a mirage, it's just science fiction. The older we get, the more that we realize that evil is real. And evil has a name. And evil actually does seek to steal, kill, and destroy. And the Bible is so clear that evil is personified in the very adversary who is Satan himself. And he has a plan utilizing minions of fallen angels called demons. And the Bible, it doesn't, it doesn't give any kind of hesitation when it talks about this. That there is an unseen spiritual reality and every day that we are awake and we're going forth, there is an enemy that desires to see, seek, kill, and destroy. To still kill, and destroy. And he desires to have a target on every one of us. Now, he can't steal your salvation if you're a believer, but he does desire to steal the joy of your salvation he, he is an enemy that desires to mute your witness, to steal integrity. He, he desires to be disruptive and confusing in your workplace and in your personal life. And, and we just need to understand that the Christian life is not a leisurely stroll from here to eternity. But it is, an, a, it is a battle. Is a battle with a real enemy, and as we pray, we're asking the Lord to deliver us from that evil. Uh, C.S. Lewis is real helpful in this. He's got a book called The Screwtape Letters, and in it, it, there is a fictional story 
of a senior tempter by the name of Screwtape, who is giving advice to his nephew, who is a tempter in training named Wormwood. And the whole book, from this fictional perspective, is about how demons are utilized to tempt us here as Christians in the world. And so it's this subversive perspective, and Lewis is reflecting in the preface to his book that there are two equal and opposite errors. Two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors. So it's an error to say, oh, none of this is real. Sunday school stories that would grow up and move past. Another temptation is to cower To say, what am I going to do in this battle? No, greater is he, Christian, in you than he that is in the world. So we can go forth in our workplace. We can go forth in our college life. We can go forth in our careers. We can go forth in our marriages. We can go forth in our dating. Courageous knowing that he has given us his word, access to him in prayer, the community of faith, so none of us have to go into this battle unprotected. Paul reflects upon this in Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks about the armor of God. And he says, take up the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, because it's a battle, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. That last petition of the Lord's Prayer is just a reminder and an invitation that we need God's protection to go forth with what he has called us to do as his children. And there's some of us in this room that need to be reminded that life actually is a battle. There actually is spiritual warfare. And it very well may be that some of us in this room are unprotected and unprepared for the battle. Our sword is not sharp because we're not daily in his word. We're not uh, praying for his protection. I remember years ago in one of the churches that I was pastoring, we had a Disciple Now weekend, and we had this special event for our 11th graders and our 12th graders that a portion of their Saturday mission time, free time, was to do this paintball thing out in this wooded area. And so we went to play paintball. I had never done that before at this season of my life. So I kind of thought of paintball as one step above laser tag. I mean, it just, I, I really had no concept of what I was getting into. And so I went out there to play laser tag and I came in my windsuit pants and I came in the bright orange Disciple Now t-shirt that we had uh, for the weekend because I was a faithful pastor keeping up the, the theme of the weekend. And so all the kids were there and it was a fun time and nobody really was all that gung-ho about it. And right before we went out to, to go out in our group, there were three big old trucks that drove up and they had synchronized Freebird, Leonard Skinner's Freebird. They had come in here and they drove up and they all got out of these trucks and head to toe, they looked like Sylvester Stallone in Rambo. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Commando. I mean, they, they were head to toe in camo. They had their own helmets. They had their own specialized paintball guns. 
I was utterly unprepared. I'd come to play laser tag. They had come to reenact the Hunger Games. I was, I was out of my league in this moment in every way. So what do you do in this moment? Well, you cower and you hide. And so I ran out. I got, I ducked down, got behind a tree. The problem is in a, in a wooded area, you don't get behind a tree. I mean, you could be behind some people behind a tree, but you're in front of other people. So there was this commando sniper a camo guy that shot me in the neck of all places. If you want to see an unsanctified pastor, get, shoot, shoot him in the neck with a paintball gun. I was wholly unprepared, wholly unprotected because I didn't realize the seriousness of the battle. Now, it is a wholly trite illustration. But, but the truth behind it is real. There are many of us that we're thinking this is a leisurely stroll. And we have failed to realize that there actually is an enemy. And we have failed to gird ourselves with the protection of his word, the sword of the spirit. Prayer, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith. And so I wonder here today if you would rest in the confidence that Scripture is clear. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And would you pray for his provision? Would you pray for his pardon? And would you pray for his protection? Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you this morning understanding that you are a God who desires to give us what we in our strength cannot provide. You provide forgiveness that we cannot earn with our good works. You provide protection in the spiritual warfare of life that is around us. We, we cannot provide that in our own strength. We are frail, we are weak, we are prone to wander. And so help us see the strength of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Help us to rest in the truth that greater is you in us than he that is in the world. So we didn't have to cower in fear, but we walk forward courageously leaning upon you, abiding deeply in you for the direction that you desire to lead us and to give us. Protect us and we lean upon you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.